Have you ever found yourself in a crisis situation? Now, if you have, how did you react? And did you like the way that you reacted? And if not, would you like to get more confident in the way you cope with things and the skill set relevant to that? Well, if you are, you're in the right place as always. Hi, and welcome to yet another awesome episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. Awesome today because I have with me a retired Navy SEAL with more than 20 years of service, Mr. Clint Emerson. Now, Clint has accomplished some incredible things. Among them is being a New York Times bestselling author with his book, 100 Deadly Skills. He is also the host of Can You Survive This podcast, where he explores, and these are his words, hypothetical life-threatening situations with a touch of dark humor. Now, you're going to get a little taste of that today, but certainly tailored to how that would translate into day-to-day advice to help you with your business, your career, and your life in general. Now, I'm going to make a disclaimer that I find the whole Navy SEAL thing pretty fascinating. And this is the first time that I've had someone on the show who served in that way, put their mind and their body through so much pain to create self-confidence, belief, and discipline. I mean, what can we learn from the Navy SEAL mindset that can add value to our daily lives? As I said, I've always found this whole world of, of how they take themselves from you know an average guy, average person, into someone who can do some incredible stuff. But one thing I can assure you of, this episode is packed with practical advice from Clint himself. Now, this is what I've got for you. Self-reliance, in its very core, right? We're going to define what that is and how we should prepare for a crisis, certainly with all the things that have been happening in the world over the past few months and years. Obviously, we've had global pandemic. And if I can use this as an example, we've now got the fighting between Russia and Ukraine. It's better to you know, get ahead of crisis, get ahead of the threats and start relying on yourself rather than uh, that app that delivers food to your door. We're going to touch on his new book, which is called The Rugged Life, which is a modern guide to self-sufficiency homesteading. Okay, <laughs> get into what that is and building an independent life. And then we're going to have a broader look at self-reliance generally and how this can translate into your business, your career, and again, your life. What are my vulnerabilities that I can fix right now so that I'm not taken out, right? And so food, water, I mean, there are so many things we rely on every day. So action-packed episode, are you ready? Here we go. Welcome to Scale Up with Nick Bradley. Time to get rugged with Clint Emerson. Hey, everybody. It is Nick Bradley here yet again. Welcome to Scale Up for another week. Uh, I'm delighted today. I have someone on the show today that um, has a background, has uh, 20 years or more, actually, probably of experience in something that I'm fascinated by. And I've never had someone on the show who's come from this background. Okay. And that background is high-level special operations and specifically a Navy SEAL, retired Navy SEAL. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I'm sure it's one of those things that, you know, once you've been in that world, it doesn't leave you. So welcome to the show today, Mr. Clint Emerson. Hey, thanks for having me. How are you doing? Really good. Really good. Yeah. Oh, man. Like, you know, I was thinking about this before we press record. I'm thinking, where can we take this today? Because there's lots of different angles. But what I thought we'd start with is we've just gone through this kind of pandemic thing. And it's kind of still going, but it is what it is, right? And now we've got the whole Ukraine-Russia thing. It's kind of like when I look at the books that you've written and your background, it's almost like you're perfectly prepared 
for the chaos that we're going on in the world. Where are you at right now with everything, Clint? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, as you mentioned, preparedness, I mean, that's that's the primary focus of everything I do, you know, whether it's the 100 Deadly Skill book series, which kind of gives the average person skills to defeat crisis and bad guys, or the new one, you know, Rugged Life, which is, you know, just being more self-reliant. Um, I think it's key because like the pandemic in Russia has proven, you don't know what tomorrow has in store for you. So it's better to you know, get ahead of crisis, get ahead of the threats and start relying on yourself rather than, uh, you know, that that app that delivers food to your door or, uh, <laughs> you know, or toilet paper, you know, because that seemed to become like gold at one point, which is crazy to me. But, you know, as it relates to all of these issues, I mean, who would have thought, you know, in one lifetime that we could all experience so much chaos uh, in such a short period of time, you know? These are things that you think would happen, you know, every century. But in this century, we have had like, I know. I mean, you name it. I mean, and if you include 9-11, you include all of these other events, especially here in the United States. It's just, uh, it's been crazy times, you know. There's an acceleration of this stuff. I mean, I, I did, a, I did a, a solo podcast episode recently, which was actually called Accelerated Change. And the reason for it was, you know, you've got digital things going on. You know, if you look back even over the last 20 years, you know, we didn't have iPhones back then. The, the stuff that we have access to now in terms of technology has accelerated connection, right? And yeah. the good and the bad of all that. And, you know, as, as we record this, we've got, you know, the Ukraine thing going on, the Russia thing. There's still so much um, division in the world, right? Particularly through things like vaccines and all of that. And and it was funny. I was reading reading through your book literally just before we we joined this um, joined this conversation, and it reminded me of a movie I watched must be thirty years ago called Red Dawn. Have you read that? Have you seen that movie? Oh, Patrick yeah. Patrick Swayze in it. Yeah, and it's kind of like I mean, it's, it's like serendipity. It's weird, right? Like you have all these kind of Russians invading America, and yeah. everyone has to go off and be self reliant, right? They have to kind of just you know make do, and it's almost like you've got the handbook. <laughs> right, it is. I've been, I've actually been plugging that. I've been like red dawn preparedness. I mean, imagine if the skies filled up with red parachutes, right? Oh. What would you do? And that's, that's really what it boils down to because, hey, you know, sky's the limit right now with the amount of drama it we could weird, all have. isn't it? I mean, it I was, I was thinking about that. And I was, um, I was listening to an interview you did with um, Patrick Bed David, who's been on the show here. And you were talking about, I think it was, you know, China has the ability to drop literally millions of people in parachutes anywhere. And yeah. a few years ago, we may not have even, you might have considered this, but I didn't consider that that would ever happen. And now you've got this stuff going on. And you're thinking, well, it's possible, right? It's possible that possible. this could happen. And then I suppose the question that then comes from that is, firstly, how do you prepare for that? But, but what, do you, what do you do? I mean, what, what would you do? What, 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 you, know, you, have, you must have been thinking about this more than most people. <laughs> Yeah, and it's important to know, you know, I'm not like a prepper or one of the guys that, you know, has foil on my head thinking aliens are going to get in. But, uh, <laughs> you know, coming from, you know, as a kid, you know, the scouting world, it was when I was a kid, scouts and Boy Scouts was cool. Uh, I don't know that it is anymore. I don't know what happened. Um, and then going into the military and being a SEAL, naturally, you start thinking ahead. And I remember uh, one of these little planning sessions that I had with a guy named Admiral McRaven. At the time, he was, uh, he was a commander. And we had this, this tactical thought process going on. 
And it was like, you know, for example, if you're going to go after an aircraft carrier, it's got a lot of security. It's big. You know, it's very difficult to take out an aircraft carrier. It's a floating city. And when it's parked in a harbor in an enemy country, how would you deal with that? And what it boiled down to is, hey, go 10 piers down to the tugboats and you take out the tugboats that have no security. But the aircraft carrier relies 100% on tugboats in order for it to get out of the harbor. So if you take out all the tugboats, essentially you've taken out the aircraft carrier, right? So with that thought process and you start applying it to your own world and go, okay, what are my tugboats? What are my vulnerabilities that I can fix right now so that I'm not taken out, right? And so food, water, I mean, there are so many things we rely on every day. Toilet paper, as we said before. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And you get these, all these things you're getting from other resources, right? So it's just natural thought process of, okay, you know, like, got to, you've got to like take some ownership in that self-reliance piece. And if you just take a little bit, it equates to a lot if a good day goes bad. Yeah. It's that, it's that saying, I mean, we used to say this in my kind of corporate and private equity world that you've got to you know, prepare for the worst, not necessarily expect it, but right. make sure you've got it because if it doesn't happen, right, you're, you know, but you're no worse off, right? You're prepared for it. But if it does happen and you haven't taken that, that sort of the steps to be able to, to do something, then you're in a lot of trouble. It's the yeah, same concept. Exactly. exactly. You got to game it. You just game it a little bit here and there and you're probably going to be better for it. And it heck, it just, it's fun. It's kind of fun. You know, if you make it part of your lifestyle, then it's not like this, oh, crazy prepper, you know, the world's ending type thing. It's no, it's just, hey, I just like collecting rainwater because, you know, if I have a thousand square foot roof and I put gutters on it and I redirect the gutters into barrels, one inch of rain on a thousand square foot roof collected equals more than 600 gallons of free water. But most people just let it fall on the earth. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I think and that's fun stuff to do that I talk about in, you know, this next book. But do you yeah. think we've become too comfortable just with convenience and the things that are around us? So we don't therefore think that we have to do those other things or there's the, you know, everything's going to be with us that we've had. So therefore we don't have to think outside that box. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. We have complacent. You hear the term complacency kills, right? And so, you know, we have become complacent and very reliant on what you brought up. You know, the cell phones and technology, it's great you know, for speed of light communication and moving businesses forward and communicating uh, around the globe and basically erasing borders. But it's also really bad in the fact that we've lost a lot of our skills that here in the United States, every American, men, women, and children 200 years ago knew how to survive. And now they couldn't even tell you, you know, you know, which way is north? <laughs> no, so, exactly. No, because you have yeah. to get your phone out, don't you? You're sat now. Let's right. um let, let's go back a little bit and and learn a bit more about you, Clint. So as I said from the outset, um, retired Navy SEAL, you know, decades within special ops. Um, some pretty interesting things were you've ever done tours in Iraq, um, been involved in a couple of the SEAL teams, including SEAL Team Six, which has had quite a lot of notoriety over the years. How how did you get into that? Were you did you know from an early age from the from the Boy Scout that you wanted to continue that as a career? I just like to know how the how you entered that in the mindset and, and how that all happened. 
Yeah, there was a couple of things. When I was young, I grew up overseas. I happened to be traveling through Germany and I was at the Frankfurt airport and I met a, a, a seal and, uh, you know, I asked him a bunch of questions to finally get it out of him. And he said, yeah, I was a seal. And he kind of told me this cool story about taking out any aircraft guns in Libya just before the B-111s came in and bombed the place. And, and at that point I was like, oh yeah, I want to do that when I grow up. And, um, and then, you know, time goes by in high school, college, and then I just had to basically, you know, it was a dream, you know, it was one of those passion things that I knew I wanted to do, but I really didn't know what it meant or what it was going to entail until I went and signed the dotted line at the Navy recruiter. I was a semester shy of graduating from college and I was like, fuck it, I'm going to go do this. And so <laughs> went in and, uh, you know, went to Navy boot camp and then, uh, then went to Bud's. I was in Bud's class 203. You know, we started with uh, roughly 180 some odd guys and graduated with 27-ish originals. And that was in six months. And then, uh, yeah, get through take that. Us, and- take us through that. Take us through that. Let's jump into that for a second. <laughs> so first and foremost, like, okay, yeah, you have a chat with a guy <laughs> at an airport and that sparks the seed. And yeah. what was it? What was it? Was it the fact it sounded just great fun? It's, it was the adventure, the risk. Have you thought about it in terms of who you are and what you value as to why that really resonated with you? Yeah, when I was a kid, you know, the closest thing to that was kind of like ninja stuff. In the 80s, oh, yeah. ninjas were huge, right? I'm an 80s kid. So am I. So, well, I'm 47, right? So I was, yeah, yeah. there you go, man. I loved all that stuff when I was growing right. up. And wrestling yeah. and stuff. <laughs> exactly. So I tell people all the time, like up till that point, I wanted to be a ninja, right? Oh, yeah. And I heard about SEALs and I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. And and I always joke about the fact that, you know, in retrospect, if you kill someone as a ninja, it's called murder. If you kill someone as a SEAL, then you're like a hero. So it's like, you know, you got to pick the right side of the line. It was a good, it was a good choice. Yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, I chose the right side of the line in order to do those risky things. They sound, it's all sounded sexy, right? I mean, you're sneaking in, you're sneaking up to these you know, bad guys, you're killing them, you're putting explosives on their anti-aircraft guns, you're blowing it up. And then minutes later, the B-111s are able to come in nice and low with no fear of being shot out of the sky. And of course, that story just stuck. And I was like, this is cool. But the best part of the story is I finally get to like a SEAL Team 3, which focused solely on the Middle East. And I look through the history books and that mission never happened at SEAL Team 3. So then later I end up at SEAL Team 6 and I go and look through the history books and it never happened. So the odds are what the story the guy told me was 100% bullshit. And uh, so <laughs> well, that my was my question. Was- That's my question. <laughs> like, you know, that was the, the way you even told the story a couple of minutes ago was really cool, right? How real <laughs> is it? Like, because, you know, like years and years ago, I'll share this with you. Years and years ago, I had this kind of dream of becoming like a federal officer in Australia, like for the um, the federal police force. Yeah. And different things happened. I went a different path, but I had the idea similar to you. You know, like I wanted to be a ninja as well. So this would be quite fun. Like it's a hangout, like, you know, sort of uh, undercover cop. And, and then I kind of had this realization, perhaps it's just like sitting there doing paper. <laughs> yeah. So I'm assuming yeah. being a Navy SEAL isn't that, but how much is it you're going into very dangerous situations? How often does that happen um, versus the stories and the things that you hear or you read about? 
Well, there's a great quote, Admiral Olson, another one of our great leaders. He said it clearly, like before 9-11, it used to be, you know, a SEAL would get the op of a lifetime maybe once every 10 years, pre-9-11, right? Then post-9-11, you're doing the op of the lifetime every night, right? So it went from really luck, right? Luck and timing pre-9-11, because there's a lot of guys pre-9-11 SEALs that did entire careers and never got to pull the trigger. 9-11 happens and boom, you're operating all the time. And every op is super cool and sexy and, and more, a lot of them are more than what a Hollywood set could even think of, no doubt about it. I can imagine, I, well, I, I can imagine it from the basis of, particularly post 9-11, where the enemy, if you want to call it that, is just so dispersed, right? There must be stuff happening all over the place in in, in fractions, if you like, where you have to just be on it, whereas beforehand it might have been a little bit more obvious, right? <laughs> it's a country yeah. and it's the army. But if you've got all these small bits, but I mean, let, let's go through buds a bit. I want to just understand the mindset and all of that, because what do you, how do they prepare you for this? So you've gone in there, you kind of know what it's about. Then you're going to go through not just buds, but obviously there's training that happens after that, but just take us through that experience. And why were you successful? What was it that got you through all that? Um, well, first the experience, like you don't really, for me, having gone in, in the nineties, there wasn't, the internet wasn't obviously that big and cell phones weren't everywhere. And we sure as hell didn't have apps and social media. So The only thing that I had before going in that told me anything about SEALs was one of my friends had been in the Navy. So he knew, you know, and heard rumors. And so he kind of filled me in. And then uh, there was a couple of books out. And I obviously I read those from cover to cover as many times as possible. But everything else showing up to Bud's was every day I was like, you know, on the edge going, okay, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? And, uh, and then that's when you quickly, quickly realize that the mindset is you just got to push through from evolution to evolution and from meal to meal, right? If I can just make it to lunch, I'm good. And then when lunch is done, it's like, okay, just like, all I got to do is make it to dinner and then I'm good. And then you get done for the day. It's like, all right, all I got to do is make it to lunch again <laughs> and make it to dinner. So you're, you're literally just getting to the next step. You're, you, because, yeah, at the beginning, because the, the finish line, like a marathon, you know, it's, it's overwhelmingly far away. You know, mm-hmm. six months of knowing you're going to be cold, wet, sandy, miserable. It's six, it's six months, buds. Six months of hell. Yeah, before wow, like you, every day, like literally like, and I'm assuming there is no days off, but I had to ask the question. You take it, you're just on it the whole time. You're on, you're on the whole time. And you're constantly kind of under the stress of your own, you know, like the unexpected, right? What I was talking about, the anticipation of the day. And then on top of that, you have the day itself. And in the day, there's multiple things that you have to pass. And it's every day, you know, you, you always have something. There's either a timed run, timed O course, an ocean swim. Um, there, and there's all these other evolutions that are going on literally every hour of every day. And you're constantly trying to make sure 
that I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. I'm going to pass this. I'm going to pass that, you know? And at the same time, you're questioning yourself and wondering, okay, am I going to pass? I don't know. Am I, gonna, I don't know. Let's just do it. You know? <laughs> so, you so, just... so two questions on that, right? So, yeah. so we, we talked a little bit about the preparation to go into that. You did a bit of reading on it, but was there anything, I mean, your mindset must've been relatively dialed in versus others, right? Did that come from anything? Were, you, were your family very strong? Had they done physical and mental things? Was it, where, where did that come from going into it? Or, or did you learn a lot? about yourself going through that experience that you hadn't maybe thought about before? Yeah. I mean, my grandparents were world war II guys. Um, so you growing up in a, you know, a, a military style family certainly helps. Um, and that helps on the side of patriotism and serving, you know, yeah. um, I say it all the time, you know, very few serve most serve themselves and you can interpret serving however you want, but, always working towards the greater good, I think is something everyone should check off in life at some mm -hmm. point, you know, and it doesn't have to be the military or law enforcement. There's a lot of ways to serve the greater good. But anyway, um, that didn't develop till later in me. Initially, it was just the challenge, the physical aspect of it, wondering, can I do it? The other half of that was I wanted to be part of something bigger than me. You know, and it's it's not until you get in it that you start really realizing that, you know, because at first when you join the military, for me, it was like the the adrenaline stuff, jumping out of airplanes, shooting guns. That all just sounded cool. But once you put it all together into these operations that truly make a difference, then it dawns on you like, oh, wow, I'm actually part of something that makes an impact and actually helps the greater good of not just for the United States, but in a lot of cases, we're doing stuff that's helping the globe or helping specific allies at any given point. So it's, uh, you know, so first it starts selfish. Hey, I just want to do cool stuff. And then it evolves into true patriotism. How would you define um, the Clint Emerson that went, that was pre that experience to the person who left specifically butts? Yeah, I think going in, I was naive and um, really not, not sure what to expect. Um, insecure for sure. Confidence was probably mediocre, you know, cause I was just a, you know, just your, I'm just an average Texas kid, you know, and, uh, and then you get through buds and your confidence is certainly up. Um, you know that you have, the ability and the fortitude and the mental discipline to just keep going no matter how bad it gets. Um, but you're also left from buds knowing that you're always a new guy. There's always somebody faster, smarter, stronger. There's always somebody um, out there that is going to win. And so that kind of builds this this, uh, this desire to always learn and improve and try to be the best that you can be knowing that you will never be as good as the next guy. That's what buds leaves you Got with. It. And I think is the, is Got the it. secret recipe to why the seal teams have done so well, because everyone always feels like they're the new guy. Got it. So you become hardwired in terms of um, sort of values and standards, let's say, which which means that you're never really settling. 
Right. I would say when it comes to the mission and if it comes to, you know, your own capabilities and how your buddies are going to rely on you being capable, just like I'm relying on them being capable, then you, you once you realize that, then you become a much better fighting force. And how do you retire from something like that? You know, it's been such a big part of your life for 20 years. I mean, what, what, how does yeah. that work, that transition? Yeah, that was, um, it, it's still a transition. You know, you, I tell people all the time, you get, you, when, when, you, when you're active duty, you've got this beautiful ID card with a microchip on it. And it's a colored, high pixelated, high definition photo of you. And you take that and you turn it in. And then they hand you this laminated 1980s YMCA blue, you know, membership card. It's like a blockbuster card. It's crap, right? <laughs> should be like a piece of gold. It should be a chunk of gold, shouldn't it? It should be this like yeah. thing, like a medal. Well, actually, you're in Texas. It should be a belt buckle. Like, right. Like that, that'd be cool. Something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's not. And it's it just in the exchange of ID cards tells you exactly <laughs> how things are going, right? You get this crappy card. Thanks for coming, you know. Uh, and that's your that's the kickoff to your transition. So, um, you know, every guy, every guy has their own. <laughs> Sorry, issue. I'm laughing. I'm sure it's not funny, but it's no, like, no, it's, I, you know, when you because I imagine the intensity of what you've experienced, uh, the camaraderie, the fact that it's so mission and impact led, as you said, service led. Yeah, I, I, it almost feels like there should be a ceremony, right? Or a way of, you know, because you've obviously gone on and done some great things, which we're going to talk about in the corporate world and obviously the books that you've written. But I don't know. I, I kind of thought there'd be a little bit more fanfare for people who have risked their lives and done the stuff <laughs> that you no. guys have done. No, in our, in our community, when a guy retires, he can choose to have a retirement and ceremony. And usually those ceremonies aren't for the guy. They're for the family. It's yes, an opportunity yes. to say thank you to the families. It's an opportunity for the service member also that's retiring to say thank you to the family that supported them all those years and put up with their shit coming and going all the time. But I chose not to do any of that. I just, it's never been my thing. So I just literally went and gave him my ID card, got my crappy blue one and uh, that was it. And then, uh, so it, like literally in 24 hours, I always tell people you go from hero to zero like that. And then, and then you reinvent yourself, right? And then you reinvent. Yeah. And I've been, you know, I've been retired now six, seven years and I'm still reinventing myself. It just, you know, it takes time. So before we before we move away from that part of your of your life and your experience, I have, you know, we said nothing's off the record. And I kind of just curious as we're talking about this. And you can say, Nick, I'm not going to answer that because it's like a secret. <laughs> right. But um it, it, let's just say, like hypothetically, of course, right, there was a megalomaniac in the world right now who was trying to kind of do crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah, let's and, say. And a few people thought that wasn't a good thing and they wanted to kind of go and like get rid of that situation. <laughs> Now, the question I've got here is not, not, not the specifics, but how possible is that? <laughs> and I, I mean that from the position of, an, of a high-level special ops guy and, and the experiences that you've had. Can that happen or is that like things are so different? Security's changed so much these days with technology and all that, that getting close to someone like that, if there was the intention to you know, eradicate, just, just how does that work? Is it possible? Um. Yeah, I would say it's possible. 
right? It's possible. Would it be what we call a very, very hard target? Yes. Um, and, you know, obviously the United States stays, stays away from the word assassin, assassination, um, because once you do it, then you open yourself up to doing it. And yeah, yeah, I get that. taking out heads of state is just never a good idea. But at the tactical level, could it be pulled off? Sure. I mean, um, I've seen all kinds of impossible feats actually get pulled off that never make the news, never make the newspapers, you know. And at first it seems, whoa, how are we going to do this? And then when it's all said and done, you're like, well, that was actually easier than we thought. Um, because at the end of the day, everyone has vulnerabilities. And once you determine the vulnerabilities, then it's game on. And so uh, no matter who the head of state is, they, they all they all have their vulnerabilities, their weaknesses and their vices that you can exploit, take advantage of and then, um, you know, put them out of business. So no, no, nicely answered, because I didn't expect you to kind of go, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it's a topic. It's a topical question. But the thing yeah. for me on that is, you know, you said when you go into these situations, everyone has their vulnerabilities. But when a mission, let's call it a mission, is planned again, no, maybe not an easy question to answer, but how, how precise is that? You know, when you go back and you review what happened, particularly if it was successful, did it fall into place almost step by step or do things hit sideways and it just goes off and you've just got to kind of just make do? I'm just curious about how well executed these things are down to that level of precision. Yes. With, with something, when you're going after a big target, no matter who it is, um, there's a lot of rehearsals and in okay. the rehearsals comes out all the flaws in the, the first plan, which then, okay, let's try plan two, plan three, you know, and eventually by the time you get to version 10, you're like, okay, now we've, we've gone through this so many times that it addresses the possibility of the different failure points and then you try to shore up those failure points the best you can, knowing like, you know, whoever, I mean, it, it, General Patton gets the quote, I think gets credit for the quote most of the time, but, you know, a plan is only as good until the first shot fired, right? But it, yeah, it's better that. to have a plan than not. And so rehearsing gives you the opportunity to let as many shots get fired as possible so that you can make the plan better, better, and better, you know? So if you're going after the big fish, then yeah, you're going to, uh, you're going to rehearse for it uh, over and over and over. Wow. And over. Yeah. I, I kind of expected that to be the case, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it must be crazy. It must be crazy. Anyway, let's, let's move on from that. I just was curious about how you would, how you would um, think about that, but um, let's talk about your, 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 your transition, if you like, into, into the corporate side of things. So I know you've worked with a lot of uh, fortune 500 companies and you go in there, what sort of stuff do you do in that sort of business world? What do you bring from your experience of, of Navy SEALs into that world? Um, it's a good question. It's, it's, I wrote, when I was at the NSA, um, which is here in the U S it's the national security agency. They're, they're like 10 times bigger than the CIA. Most people don't know that, but, um, right, okay. it, it literally, you know, is the keys to intelligence, right? Cause it focuses on a lot of technology. And while I was there, um, I was kind of wearing an instructor hat. I was wearing an advisory hat. I was wearing all these different hats. And, and one of the things I was looking for was like how to be the gray guy 
the gray person when traveling abroad. And long story short, ended up not finding anything. And so I ended up putting together a book of lessons learned from traveling alone and working alone or in very small teams. And the book ended up being called Escape the Wolf. Okay. And I self-published it to make it look and smell like a, like a book. And then I handed it out for free to anybody who came through any of my courses while I was still in the military. And it ended up in the hands of an old retired FBI guy who was the global security director for the Wall Street Journal. And he calls me up and he's like, hey, I read this Escape the Wolf book you've got. I want you to, I want you to teach everything in this book to all my journalists. And I was like, well, uh, I'm in the Navy. I don't know how I would pull that off. <laughs> so, and he said, well, if you figure it out, give me a call. And so I went to an e-learning developer and back, you got to remember, this is years ago, you know, e-learning uh, wasn't exactly um, common. And so I went to this guy, he said, yeah, I can develop it. And I, uh, I paid a lot of money on, a, on the one credit card I had. And then I called up this global security dick. Uh, his name is Joe. I called Joe up and I'm like, hey, you remember me? And he's like, yeah. He goes, well, I went, I went and put about $60,000 on my credit card to develop this e-learning. Uh, do, you, do you think you'd, you could still buy it? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I'll buy it. And uh, you're ahead of your time, mate, on this stuff. <laughs> I was I was working in e-learning back around 2010, right? I know exactly what you're talking about. And these days it's so much slicker, right? But oh yeah, that's and, cool. And heck, so you, you became you became it. very entrepreneurial, right? Like, you know, this is this is you took a risk, <laughs> you maxed out the credit risk. card. And so what yeah. so so just to be clear on that, because I haven't read that book. So, you know, his intent, Joe's intent was to make sure that you know his staff, his journalists particularly, I suppose, when they go into dangerous situations, as that has accelerated, certainly in the last decade, they were as prepared as they possibly could be from your insights and your knowledge. Right. Yeah. So this was right after Danny Pearl got his head chopped off on YouTube. Oh, yeah, right? I remember that. Yeah. And so yeah. it was very near and dear. And he wanted to make sure that his journalists never walked in to a source meeting uh, ill-prepared because you know, Danny got tricked into thinking he was going and meeting with a source that had information and it turned out to be Al Qaeda. And, um, and then we know the rest of the story from there. So he, yeah. he wanted to prevent that altogether. And so, you know, in, in Escape the Wolf, it talks about, you know, different security precautions you can take, especially a journalist, you know, they, they're pretty much operating alone, you know, and, um, and they're writing reports on people. But the difference is between a journalist and a case officer, both of them collecting information. The case officer has anonymity and the report they write stays classified. Whereas a journalist, they're putting it out in the public with their name stamped on it. So they're taking all that risk, but they didn't have any of the training to prevent, you know, uh, those types of situations. So yeah, I built the e-learning, sold it to them. They put it on their servers and I think they're still using it to this day. And did you scale that? <laughs> I have to ask that question because the podcast is called Scale Up, right? Did you then go out there and turn that into a business? Was that your first business yeah. host? So, let's say that. Okay. Exactly. That The book became a company the day that that was sold. And then it, and then I, then it kind of opened me up to the broader world of crisis management. You know, um, then, you know, Joe was nice enough to tell other fortune 500s about it and, you know, you end up selling that same 
e-learning over and over and over again. Um, and, you, and you, of course, learn along the way a lot because I made a lot of mistakes. You know, you sell it and then that's it. Then you go 10 sales later, you're like, oh, my God, I should have made that a license. <laughs> you know, yeah, you, need, you, need, <laughs> you, needed someone, you needed someone like me sitting next to you. Um, but, oh, you're right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. But yeah, but I mean, on that, though, when you're going out there working with these large corporations and how many how many corporations have you worked with since you since you launched this business? Approximately. Oh, dozens. Yeah, dozens of uh, big, big to small private schools, places of worship. I mean, you name it. Now I've I've gone wow. out. And when they bring you in, is there anything that's kind of like an overriding area that they they want you to focus on, or is it or is it always very different and very bespoke? It's believe it or not, or not. This is probably not very surprising. It's driven by what's current. In the news, right? So if right. active shooters are covering the, you know, covering every newspaper in the in the United States, then I'm going to do a lot of active shooter type stuff. If it's cyber, you know, then I'm going to do a lot of cyber stuff. So a lot of companies, um, unfortunately, um, are you know going based on the same information everybody gets, and then they're very reactive. You know, and that's yes. that's the only hangup I have with a lot of a lot of these companies and organizations is. They always wait to see it on the news before they actually do something about it. When, you know, you can solve the problem before it's a problem. They just don't like to spend the money unless they have to. <laughs> no, but, but it's, it's like what I said at the beginning of this conversation about this idea, prepare for the worst, expect the best. Yeah. You're never going to be caught out. Now, of course, there's a time and a money investment that needs to go into that level of thinking. But I imagine like, you know, particularly some of the businesses you've gone into, if, if things do go wrong, you know, I was involved in risk management for a while in my private equity days. If things do go wrong, the, the cost of the, of the, the issue um, can be significantly more than just spending a bit of money trying to get a plan in place. Yeah. And, and because you know risk, then you understand insurance. And so a lot of them sit there and they scratch their head. The bean counters will just go, well, we're spending all this money on general liability and workers comp that covers most of these crises. So why do we need to educate the workforce? Why do we need to buy all this e-learning? Why do we need to buy all of these different tools when insurance covers it? And so yeah, a lot exactly. of your, your CEOs and CFOs will go, ah, good point. Yeah. We'll just keep spending money on insurance and forget that other stuff. Yeah, but see, that's what that's what we would have done, Clint. We would have gone, we would have taken you with all your experience, gone to all the insurance companies. <laughs> and they would have been your customer. And then like, you know, cause in the, the day, if you're going out there and you're, you know, preventing an insurance payout. <laughs> there you go. I, yeah. And I, I went down that path and, uh, and it, it's a hit or miss still it's hit or miss. Yeah. Even when we're dealing with like big guys like AIG and some others that I've dealt with. Um, the, 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 as you know, the insurance world is very regionally specific and broken up into like these little, uh, franchises, if you will. That's right. Yeah. And so you can't like talk to the head and, and then sell it to the rest. You have to go around and sell it to every single, you know, division, you know, and it's, I spent years just trying to get in and one, and they were so broken up and decentralized that, you know, yeah, I couldn't get anywhere with them. Yeah. It's, it's a painful process. It has changed a little bit, I think now, but, but you know, like we said, with technology and whatever, the people are having to uniform um, the way they do things. Right. But, yeah. and, and also because, 
you know, without getting too into the kind of corporate junk, uh, you've got mass yeah. globalization where a centralization of strat strategy and leadership is happening now so that the world is opened up because of that, right? So you've got these policies and procedures now, which are, are very much across nations as opposed to small, smaller communities. But, but you know, that's yeah. only something that's happened in the last few years. Yeah, fascinating. And, yeah. And, and just so we can play with this, because, you know, the, the term here we talked about beforehand is crisis. Do you have a process of when you go in? Do you go in there and first map out how things work and then go in there and do some strategy strategy changes, whatever else? Is that how it goes normally? Yeah. Um, for the most part, we always start with a, an assessment, um, which includes interviews of all the stakeholders that are involved in whatever it is that they're looking to uh, improve. And so... Those, that interview process, especially with your higher tenured employees and leadership, all the answers are given to you. And it's, it creates this cliff notes uh, capability to the plan because, once again, it's the client telling you all their problems. So once that process is complete, then we can hand them a solution that uh, usually is the right one the first time, you know, instead of just trying to do what a lot of companies do is just, hey, buy this. They don't ask about, you know, what the problems are. or They don't right. do an assessment. They just say, hey, this is what you need and this is what will fix everything you've got going wrong. <laughs> and that doesn't work, obviously. So oh, it's too um, templated off the shelf, right? And it's not specific enough. Right. And, and there's a place for off the shelf solutions, as we all know, but um, you've got to You've got to do an assessment. You've got to talk to the stakeholders. You've got to collect that input so that then you can propose a plan that you know will probably work. Yeah, got it. So just to finish off this piece of it. So if you if you look at kind of where we are now in the world with all the uncertainty that's going on, and as I said before, the accelerated pace of that change, is there any anything that you call out or bits of advice that you, you can give to business owners? I said a lot of the people who listen to this show are entrepreneurs that they should be thinking about just from your perspective with, with what we're seeing? Yeah, I think um, taking time and listing out like how you would pivot at a moment's mm, notice, yeah, cool. being pivotable. <laughs> <laughs> That's a word. There we go. I think, <laughs> I think is probably one of the most important things a business can do. Um, I think the pandemic has proven that. I mean, every business had to pivot once there's doors closed and their employees stayed home and they had to figure out uh, in real time, holy shit, how do we keep money coming in? And I would say, hey, if any lesson learned from all of that is, okay, now you can sit down and go, all right, what's the next thing that could potentially happen? <laughs> and how would we pivot? Um, and you can pivot almost de by department, right? How do you pivot financially? How do you how do you pivot even with you know what you sell or what it is you do for a living? Um, but be pivotable uh, because you just never know. Yeah, I had so many of um, clients that work with me, you know, who who didn't have cash reserves in place. Right? They had didn't have any contingency, like they never expected. And I, I made an investment. In a in a, um, a car park, a lot of people in the UK travel outside of London to London, and they they park in these these car parks that are near, near mainline stations, right? And of course, no one now 
who's traveling to London, they're buying big houses in the country. So these car parks are like empty, right? And it's it's an interesting story to sort of share because you wouldn't have expected that. Like everyone thought that, like, of course, people are always going to commute to London, right? Because people go to <laughs> yeah. offices, right? Not that people are never going to do that again. But, you know, it's 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 a, it's a really, I still don't think, this is my, my view, I still don't think people have got this enough yet. You know, I think people yeah. are kind of relaxing. Is there any any process that you recommend to people? Like, you know, should you employ someone who's looking at this if you're a big corporate? Should you have a quarterly session on risk in the way that you're looking at it? Maybe that strategic view of risk. Are there any things like that that you recommend? Yeah, I think you just nailed it. I think you have to uh, sit down and look in the mirror as a company on a regular basis and uh, take the lessons learned. Um, and in the world of crisis, you know, you have drills, right? We have a fire drill for a reason. Yeah, so, yeah. and the more you do fire drills, the more successful you'll be if there's ever a fire. And you have to kind of almost take that same drill approach to everything else you're doing. Um, and I think people would realize like a lot of vulnerabilities that they can, you know, improve upon, plug a lot of holes that they didn't know they had. Um, and, and then the biggest one is knowing how they would shift their strategy uh, when something really bad occurs, you know, yeah. and I think just drill, drill, drill. You can't go wrong with that. So there you go. I'll draw a line under that, everyone listening, you know, again, in your business, the change that we've gone through isn't stopping. <laughs> if right. anything, it's accelerating. So let's, let's talk about um, your new book, um, specifically, The Rugged Life. And what do you hope, so, you know, people are going to take away from this? If you, if you were kind of, kind of going to look forward a little bit and people have read this book, what, what exactly are you trying to get across? And what do you hope the, um, the impact is going to be? Yeah, the theme is still the same as 100 Deadly Skills. You know, those that book series is all about protecting yourself from crisis or bad guys or bad events. Rugged Life is now a broader look at it's a lifestyle. And that's what I want. Yeah. I want people to take self-reliance and make it a lifestyle. And I've built the Rugged Life in a way that it doesn't matter if you live in a metropolitan area, a suburban area or you live in the middle of nowhere, there are skills in this book that will allow you to take ownership and not rely so much on others or technology in order to do or attain all of those daily requirements. You know, the example I gave you, who would have thought that if you've got a thousand square foot roof, you could collect 600 gallons of free water at any given time, right? That's one inch of rain, thousand square feet, 600 plus gallons of water. And I put a lot of tricks and calculations and like all my books, it's illustrated. So yeah. I tell people all the time it's Clint proof, meaning you don't have to read it. It's just for, it's like, for it's like a manual like or a guide, isn't it? Cause I was looking at um, hundred deadly skills and that's very graphic and yeah. you, you can literally just flip, you know, to a page and take something right. You know, that's exactly. either, which is very, very, I think that's great, particularly when we've got so much information these days. And so, you know, time is scarce for all of us, right? For the things we're doing priorities. There's, from what I understand, there's, there's 10 kind of areas, if you like, within the rugged life, right? Are they, That's do, right. You, do you have, are they prioritized at all? I know, are there things you think, or is it just whatever? People take what they need. And as long as they apply it, that's the most important thing. Exactly. You can open it up in the middle and whatever that skill is, you can apply it right then and there. I tried to make it um, very digestible with the illustrations 
I try to make sure the narratives don't really repeat too much of what's yeah. going on. So they, they really complement one another. Um, but it covers how to, you know, be your own butcher, be your own farmer, be your own builder, be your own homemaker, be your own 911 or, you know, your own um, rescue, be your own first responder. So every, every chapter is be your own. And each chapter is the 10 parts of a self-reliant lifestyle. And why, why the rugged life? Why, why that title? Well, because it's, it's, the, it's the analog version of today, right? We yeah. are very digital. Um, and I feel like going back a little bit in time and being more hands-on with the things that you require in life has become important. And like we were talking at the beginning, you know, you know, worst case, if it's a red dawn situation and you've got Russian tanks coming across your border, you're going to be glad that you know how to do a couple of things yourself um, instead of relying on your neighbors, relying on your government, relying on all these things around us. Rely on yourself. And I think you'll be better for it, regardless of whether a crisis happens or not. It's just, like I said, if you make it a lifestyle, make it like a hobby, then you're having fun, you're learning something new, but you're also providing for yourself at the same time, which I think, heck, every, every person should should jump on it. It's also going to increase your confidence. I think, I, you know, as, as we said, again, from the outset of this conversation, there are things happening right now around us that, you know, you said before has, haven't happened, you know, haven't happened in lifetimes and, and they've happened in a compounding way, certainly since the turn of this century. Right. right. And then, and then you've got the, the fact that we're not really prepared. You know, I, 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 you know, I look around the place and I see that. So I, one of the things we do uh, as a family, I've got two young daughters is when we go away, we like to go away and and not necessarily stay in the most ex, you know exclusive luxury places. Like we went to Thailand and we stayed um, in very rural areas with uh, local villages, particularly where the tsunamis happened a number of years ago, J just to kind of rough it in our way, right? <laughs> Probably not in your way, but in our way it was roughing it. Um, just right. so the kids, the kids could appreciate it, so that they weren't thinking that everything just sat you know sits in a YouTube channel. You know, yeah. so I, I bring that up because I mean, do you, do you is, is that the sort of because I, I like to make these things practical when people are listening to this? Are there are there certain things that if you were going to summarize some points in the book and you think, you know, there are some things here that I, I think are just super important and I appreciate for the fact that again, it's going to be different for everybody, but there's some things that just jump out. When you wrote that chapter, for example, you said, you know what, this is really important now. Is there anything like that that comes to mind? Oh man, there's a bunch. Um, <laughs> but, there you, you know, go. To compliment, yeah, to compliment what I tried to do is fill the book with everything that I thought was one important, but two that you could easily do as a family. And I yeah. say it all the time: smartphones have created dumb families. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Oh God, yes. <laughs> yeah, and this book, like I said, is the analog of the analog version of today's lifestyle. And I think it's good to go back in time. So being able to hunt, right? You, like there's not too many guys that know how to hunt anymore, even though that used to be something the man of the house did every day. Difference is, is now everybody in the house can go hunt. I mean, everyone should know how. And that sounds very simple and, uh, you know, barbaric to a certain degree, but, you know, I'm sure there are people in the Ukraine right now, rural Ukraine, that are not being able to go to a grocery store and wish, man, I wish I had a bolt rifle, 
a bolt action rifle with a scope on it, knew how to do it and could, you know, whatever, a deer, elk, whatever you've got roaming around, um, be able to hunt it, butcher it and feed your family. Um, but something as simple too, is, uh, more at home stuff that I think would be fun is make your own pomade, make your own shampoo, make your own conditioner, your bars of soap. One thing I learned in this is how far coconut oil and beeswax, like those two ingredients can make you almost everything you've got in is that right? your bathroom and in your kitchen. <laughs> that helps with the whole sustainability argument too, doesn't it? This idea that yeah. we consume so much these days. Yeah. Wow. And it's healthy, right? Coconut oil like can be, is used in everything. Yeah, cooking as products, well as yeah. products. I mean, it's amazing. So I give the ingredients and how to make it. So it's not just like the typical manly crap, right? It's a combination of the what the entire household can be doing in order to, you know, stop relying on everybody else. Yeah, good. No, I think yeah. I think it, it's just it's incredibly timely. You're right. That whole just thinking about the Ukraine scenario that we've spoken about a couple of times here. You know, how many people have had, you know, in that environment, they've had things that they expected they would just have access to. Yeah. And all of a sudden they haven't, right? And what do you do? Spoil. Yeah, no, yeah. I fully agree with that. And, and that's the one thing I'm very conscious about, as I said beforehand, with my children, just to make sure that they have experiences. You know, I had some challenging experiences growing up, which were great, and I think they served me, right? And just making sure that we don't, we don't sort of make it too easy for people because it's like the grit in the oyster, right? Like the more that you can push yourself to do hard things, you know, the stronger we become. That's right. And in the middle of all that, you learn a whole lot about not just yourself, but the skills required to do it again and do it again and become more effective and more efficient. You know, that repetition, right? We're all going to fall on our face the first step we take, but over time, before you know it, you're running marathons. And I think that's the goal with everything. And, um, and you're doing all that without crutches, right? We're, we, uh, we rely a lot on all kinds of exterior things in order to get through our days, which, uh, just got to take some of that back, you know? Indeed. Well, listen, um, I'm going to start to wrap things up. You've been very generous with your time, Clint. Um, what's, what's next for you? So you've got the book and, you know, what other projects have you got on the go at the moment? Uh, yeah, so we got Rugged Life coming out in May um, or this month or whenever this comes out. I think it's I May because I did say, I said, we're going to make sure we're, <laughs> yeah. we're going to time this. So when people are watching this, you can get yeah. the book. And of course, there won't be any digital versions of the book because, you know, Clint's going old school <laughs> on this. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. that's a, that was a joke. That was a joke yeah, for everybody. Joke, yeah. I'm sure it's available yeah. everywhere. <laughs> that's a good one, though. I like it. That's I, I thought you got to call it out, like because you yeah, said exactly. It. <laughs> hey, you only use your devices to read my books. That's it. Okay. You've got right. no, no. Let's go further. You've got to chop a tree down. You've got to, you know, basically dry the paper. That's very you right. You've actually got to write the thing. <laughs> anyway, Jake. That's it. Yep. So you've um, got the book coming out. So that's big. Are you doing a tour or anything like that? Are you going around speaking and things, or is it just mainly the you know the book and and publishing that? Yeah, the book is coming. And then um, I've got another, I've got an update to Escape the Wolf coming out yep. uh, in the fall. Um, and then in the middle, I'm always doing keynotes um, and, and helping out in other arenas. Um, but everything I've got going on, it's, it's easy to see on social media or at clintemerson.com. That's probably the, the easy button to what Clint has up his Clint, what Clint is doing. Well, well listen, yeah. we'll make sure we put all that into the um, the show notes and we'll put the links to the book and your other books and, and anything else that you'd like um, people to kind of have a look at. 
Um, yeah. As I said, this is the first time we've had uh, someone of your experience on the show. I was very conscious not to geek out about ninjas and Navy SEALs because we could have just spoken <laughs> about that for an hour and it probably would have been good fun. But yeah. I do like people to kind of... <laughs> I like people to get the practicalities of stuff as well. But um, yeah, I mean, thank you for for all the stuff that you've um, added to the world. I think the people who go and serve like you've served, you know, regardless of where, you know, I'm not in the US, but I think even across the world, we're appreciative of that stuff. So I just want to say thank you to that. And thank you for your time today. It's been great having no. you on Scale Up. Thanks for having me, buddy. It's a, it's a good time hanging out with you. And I wish you the best of luck with continued uh, interviews and podcasts, man. Right. Thank you very much, man. Thank you. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. If you enjoy the show just as much as I enjoy creating it for you, then I'd really appreciate you leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you never miss a future episode? It really helps me. It helps the show. Plus, it makes it easier for others to access the content that I'm producing week in and week out. And finally, if you want more information about anything you heard in today's show, or to find out how you can get more help in scaling up your business and your life, click the link in the show notes now to learn about our coaching, mentoring, and mastermind programs. See you soon.